Hey friends, Mariah Keener here. We are in week four of our six-week How to Live as Neighbors series. It's been so awesome to hear from Shannon Martin, Beth Graybill, and other members of our community. Today, Shannon is back to talk about being present, sharing in the ordinary, and why those two things might have made Jesus a little bit of a foodie. Near the end of the gathering, Shannon will invite our community, including you, our digital family, to share in the Eucharist together. So if you'd like to participate in that with us, make sure you have some sort of bread or crackers and wine or juice ready. We're so glad that you're here joining us today. Now let's join in with Shannon. Good morning, neighbors. I think we've crossed that bridge now. We can, we can look at each other and say, we are neighbors. And I want to thank you for that because this is a, I've said this before, I'll probably say it every time, but this is a really special place for me. I feel your welcome and I feel your love and your support. And I've, I've told many people, my family attends St. Mark's United Methodist Church, the little tiny church, a couple blocks from our house um, in Goshen. But I say all the time, South Bend City Church is like the satellite church in my heart. (laughs) I feel very connected here, and I really appreciate that. So thank you. So as Mariah said, we are in week four of this Start With Hello series on what does it mean to live as neighbors. And we have really made, you know, Beth Grable and I, and, you know, talking with Jason before as we were planning this, we've, we've made the the intention to, to be careful with our language to, and, and we might mess up now and then, I sometimes do myself, but, but to move away from the idea of being a good neighbor and moving toward the idea of living as neighbors. And it's a small little difference, but as an author and a words person, words matter. Um, we all feel that whether we are writerly or not. And there's just a difference between, between being a good neighbor, where the emphasis is on what am I doing, how am I serving, what, what am I giving, what am I bringing, and living as neighbors together, where this is a two-way street and you cannot live as neighbors alone. And so we're going we're gonna to continue to try to hang on to that language. Um, I want to begin by saying a few weeks ago, Beth spoke on how to lean in when it's hard. I was not here that particular Sunday morning. It was two Sundays ago. I was actually in Seattle that weekend speaking at an event with a group called the Parish Collective. And this group exists to to explore together and to practice together. What does it look like for the church to be a, a presence of peace and love in their communities as a as an actual parish. Um, And so I know that that's a value South Bend City Church holds. It's a value I hold. So for what it's worth, those are, if you ever, if you ever see the parish collective pop up, it's probably your people. It's my people. But one of my friends who helped lead that event is a man named Tim Sorens. He's an author. He wrote a beautiful book on this very topic called Everywhere You Look. Highly recommend and he, he opened that gathering by saying, what we do here together for the next couple of days, it was just a, a two-day event, what we do here together does not matter as much as how we are together. 
And I want to bring that spirit into our gathering this morning and really into this series. It's like the heartbeat of today's message on being present and sharing in the ordinary. It is not so much about what we do together, but how are we together? So this is the how are we together week. And we're going to talk about a couple of things today that even as I was planning and preparing for this week's message, even though this is really, this is, this is the heart of what I talk about, write about, think about, I believe in this. We're going to talk, though, about things like hospitality today, and that's a really fancy word. I find myself um, wishing for a better word. There's something about it that kind of grates against me, and I, don't, I really don't know why, other than to say it just it holds some type of a churchy connotation to me that feels a little bit ill-fitting. Alas, I have not come up with a better word. So we're going to talk about hospitality and what it means to really share space together, We're also going to talk about sharing food together, sharing ourselves, our very selves. And as I was preparing, I had this sense of like, I don't know if talking about sharing space and sharing food, maybe that's just, maybe it's not Jesus-y enough. Maybe it's not churchy enough. I found myself falling into these same patterns, even though I know that this is the heartbeat of the gospel, We see Jesus eating with people throughout scripture. This is something Jesus valued. I am a food person. I actually work part-time on staff at The Window in Goshen. It's a nonprofit organization dedicated to feeding our community. And I work in the kitchen. I show up in my sweaty ponytail and wearing soup on my jeans somewhere. And, you know, we're just kind of a mess in there because we're just getting the work done in a hot kitchen. We're making the food. And so I am a foodie. I appreciate food. And I honestly think Jesus himself was also a foodie. And this, this means something to me. We just see him too many times through scripture like, hey, do you want to grab a bite to eat? And so we're going to talk a little bit more about this. But I, but I do think the, the essence of the way Jesus was with people was street level. It was unfussy. It was unfancy. And we have a lot to learn about that from him. We, we keep talking about this idea during this Start With Hello series on how to live as neighbors, that Jesus is our roadmap. Jesus shows us the way in really practical ways that might seem a little, like I said, like, does this count as church? It very much does. It very much counts. It is all, it matters and it's important. And this is, this is the good news is that there aren't these things over here that are holy and churchy. And then these other things over here that are like, whatever, you know, this is just life over here. The good news is that it all counts and it all matters and it's all holy. And so we're going to begin with, I'm going to share a quick little quote Um, I am a voracious reader, a bit of an obsessive reader, and I really love sharing um, bits and pieces of things I'm reading. I didn't know that beginning with a quote from somebody else's work was part of my my sermon rhythm. I know that now, thanks to my time here, because I just keep doing it. As I plan the week's message, I find myself, it, it helps me to frame 
a lot of times words I write or words I read help me to kind of give bones to what what's beating in my chest or what I'm thinking. And so we're going to begin with a quote from a beautiful book. Any book I mention I really love. And so I'll say every time, like, I really recommend this book, but I really do. It's called We Will Feast. It is by a young theologian named Kendall Vanderslice, and it is a magnificent book on this topic. The gospel is a story of meals opening in a garden and ending at a feast. Jesus did not separate the practice of feeding the hungry from that of feasting with friends. He enjoyed communion with them all. Dismantling the social stratification of meals was, in fact, one of his main intentions. Jesus hosted dinner parties that turned the forgotten into guests of honor. As we head into this conversation about what does it look like to be together, to share spaces together, what did Jesus teach us? And what does Jesus continue to teach us about this practice? We are going to start with the scripture from Luke chapter 19. And this is the story of Jesus and Zacchaeus. And some of you, like me, may have grown up in church culture as a child. And if that is you, you are singing the song right now in your mind. It's impossible not to. A couple, two different people came up to me after the nine o'clock gathering and said it was all they could do to not stand up and burst into song. (laughs) Uh, Some of you might not be familiar with the song. It's just, it's like a, it's one of the, it's a bop. It's like a, a a child's Bible bop. We, we sang it, we knew it. There's a particular part of the song that says, you know, Jesus says to Zacchaeus, you come down. And that's how I realized I was taught to sing this song. Like, it's this happy kid song. And then Jesus says, you come down. And we wag our fingers and we're mad. And it was only until a couple years ago, or when my kids were a little bit smaller, singing that with them, that I was like, I think we got that part wrong. I think Jesus was more invitational than demanding. I don't know where the finger wagging came from. But the good news is we get, to, we get to change our minds about those things that maybe we learned that weren't helpful. The details of this, of this story are kind of cemented in our memory. A small man climbs a sycamore tree to see Jesus. Jesus calls him down from the tree. Jesus invites himself to the man's house for dinner. And so we're going to go ahead and and read this scripture. It's a much shorter passage than last week's passage. I'm still really proud of us for making it through the story of the Samaritan woman at the well. This is a shorter passage. I'm going to read it out loud. If you would like to read it out loud with me, you're invited to do so. If you would just like to silently read it with me, that's fine as well. We'll go ahead and read this together. Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. There was a man there named Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector in the region, and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but he was too short to see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree beside the road, for Jesus was going to pass that way. When Jesus came by, he looked up at Zacchaeus and called him by name. Zacchaeus, he said, quick, come down. I must be a guest in your home today. 
Zacchaeus quickly climbed down and took Jesus to his house in great excitement and joy, but the people were displeased. He has gone to be the guest of a notorious sinner, they grumbled. Meanwhile, Zacchaeus stood before the Lord and said, I will give half my wealth to the poor Lord, and if I have cheated people on their taxes, I will give them back four times as much. Jesus responded, Salvation has come to this home today. For this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Sketched within this catchy melody, this familiar story, is our roadmap for loving our neighbors in the midst of ordinary life. We're going to talk about that further, but I want to begin by just a quick exercise. We, Beth and I started this series out by inviting people to share what do we think about when we hear the word neighbor. And so we're going to kind of revisit that practice because I think it's good for us to, to converse together, to be neighbors together as much as possible. And so if you have thoughts or ideas on this, a quick word or a quick phrase, when I talk about the idea of having somebody into your home, your space, whatever it is, what words come to mind? Anything. What's that? Trust. Yeah. Cleaning. That was mentioned earlier as well. That's important. Anything else? To-do list. Vulnerability. Vulnerability. Yeah. Friendship. Sharing. Being welcoming. Yeah. Hospitality. Anticipation. Territorial. Thank you. We've got to tell the whole truth. We have to. Good job, guys. Good job. The truth is, when we think about this idea of inviting people in, it can be a really um, happy and exciting thing. It can also be a vulnerable, awkward, scary thing. We have a lot of barriers between us and the people around us. I happen to grow up in a community. You know, my parents, I, I look back, as I, as I started to write about this idea in in my next book, it really made me reflective. And it helped me to see that, you know, my parents, of course, they didn't get every little thing right. But one of the things that I really realized that I just kind of took from my childhood was this rhythm of easy sharing between the people around them, particularly their their church community. And so I I grew up in, in southwestern Ohio in a very small rural working class community my family and the families around me, we just didn't have a lot. But there was a, a real rhythm to this, this ease between us. And at the time, you know, all we had was the rotary f- telephone screwed to the wall. Um, that's how old I am. And when that phone rang, this was before caller ID. Like, you didn't even know who it was. You didn't know who was on the other. It was like a whole different exercise in trust answering that phone. 
And, and the phone would ring, and so many times it would be, you know, Betty or Matha or Marianne, any number of people on the other line saying, hey, I've just made too many beans. Do you want to come over? Or sometimes it was just kind of like a, hey, I don't know, it's kind of nice outside. What are you having for dinner? Just bring it with you, whatever it is, and we're just going to bring whatever we have, and it might not go together, but let's just, instead of eating separately at our separate houses, what if we just ate together? And they did this all the time. It became very normal for me. And if I'm being honest, like my, my family over in Goshen, we have really tried to, to have a spirit of, um, we talk about keeping the door easy on its hinges. Like people, people are welcomed into our home. We want people in our homes as much as possible, even when it feels inconvenient. However, we are coming out of a season where even for my family, that just hasn't been happening much. And if, if I'm being honest, as someone, again, who just writes about this stuff and, and believes in this stuff a lot, we are rusty. So even those of us who, who grew up with this rhythm, who, who practiced this rhythm to some extent, I'm sitting here like, this feels kind of scary again. Like, how do you get back into this groove if you were ever in it to begin with? Or how do, you, um, how, do you, how do you begin to believe again that it matters? What do we do? How do we do this? The incarnation, God sending Jesus to this world, is the proof that we need that this matters. That it matters to be present in our places with one another, to share our spaces one of the first Bible verses I learned as a child was John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he sent his son, da-da-da. And for, for really all of my life, until the past handful of years ago, I just only could see that verse through the lens of the crucifixion. I could only see it through the lens of God, God loved us so much that he sent his son to die. And I've, I've started to reconsider that maybe equally important to that lens on that verse is that God so loved the world that God sent God's son to live in a body on this earth with us. God loved us so much that he sent Jesus to live, to embody, to, to give us this roadmap for who God is and how God loves us. So when we talk about, you know, we can, we can be, um, we can have friends, we can have coworkers, we can have people that we share church space with. All of those are good, good things. But until we share our actual spaces, until we sit around a shared table and share food, that's what makes us family. That's what rounds the corner from being acquaintances, being friends, being, you know, a happy face in the crowd. And that is, those, those are no small things. I'm not here to diminish that. But it is in the act of sharing together that we become family. So the question becomes, how do we get to that place of building trust? Past all the, the to-do list, the cleaning, the do we have enough? These barriers that we have between us on, I just don't think I have enough space. 
I don't have, I've had this thought more times than I can count. I don't have enough chairs. I like the idea of inviting people over. I don't have, I don't have people to, or I don't have the, the, enough places for people to sit their, their rear ends. And even something as simple as that can become like a, never mind, call the whole thing off. This is too hard. I don't have enough energy. I don't have enough time. My bathroom, <laughs> like just the end. My bathroom, I don't know. Like, I don't know. I don't know that I have it in me to make it better. I don't know that I have it in me to just be okay with the way it is. On and on we go. I mean, we've built this idea of hospitality into what is the one requirement for hospitality? Charcuterie. It's a word that we can hardly even say, and we certainly can't spell it. And now that has become the, like, the gold standard of what it means to have people over and share space with them, and we're missing out. We're just getting it wrong. What if we began to really believe that it mattered enough that we could take it down a bunch of notches, down to street level, to set the bar low? As we start to, to re-enter or to enter for the first time, our first step is to decide that we are simply going to go first. We are going to be the one that takes the risk and puts ourselves out there because we believe that it matters. We believe the incarnation of Christ proves to us and shows us that this matters, that being with each other matters. And it is not a, it, it is not a risk-free thing. Years and years ago, before we lived in Goshen, my husband and I decided to invite our whole Sunday school class over for an ice cream Sunday bar. And, you know, we bought all the things, and we had a great relationship with our Sunday school class. We had a pretty large Sunday school class, and yet nobody showed up. <laughs> it, was, it was not personal. Life happened, and it just so happened that life happened all on the same day. But the reality was we did have a lot of hot fudge sauce to plow through as a family. And so the reality is, it is a risk. We are taking a risk. So when we feel that thing of like, we kind of want to do this thing, we kind of really don't want to do this thing. It comes from a place of, of real human emotion. We put ourselves out there and we cannot control the outcome. We can't. And that can be a very scary feeling. But if we decide that we are going to go first, if we decide that not only are we going to go first by making the invitation, we are going to go first by setting the bar low. We are going to go first by deciding that we are not going to spruce everything up and make everything seem perfect. Because when we do that, it's fine, it's great. But now the other person feels like, okay, this is where we've set the bar, and I can't compete with that. And we get stuck in these stall patterns where we're not really sharing our lives together like we could. And meanwhile, almost all of us are kind of living the same way. We all kind of have messy bathrooms, I think. We all sometimes just don't have the right cool snacks on hand or not enough chairs or whatever the case may be. We're all living this way. And then when it comes time to share, we're trying to make ourselves seem just a little bit more put together. And so then we all think we're the only ones. We can choose to go first. 
we can live mostly integrated. And I add the word mostly because I think it's really important for us to, to do our best to just be who we are at work, at church, at the coffee shop, in our homes, in our neighborhoods. What you see is what you get. And some days that might look prettier than others. But what if we just decided that it's enough? Exactly as we are, exactly how our homes are, exactly as our, as our families are. A woman mentioned to me earlier this morning that one of the biggest barriers for her and in inviting people into her space is just kids. She's got little kids. That can feel hard, especially if you have a wild child, which I had one of those, and it can feel kind of scary to invite people in. I, my son is with me today. He was not the wild child. <laughs> There's a story my husband tells. So I've mentioned before, my husband is the chaplain of the Elkhart County Jail. One of his assistant chaplains is a man named Sung Bin Kim. He came to the United States several years ago from South Korea. Sung Bin is a dear, dear friend and brother of ours. He is pretty buttoned up and kind of straight-laced. He's very funny and engaging, but he's just a little more um, kind of conservative feeling. And he has said over and over again that by far the place where he immediately felt the most comfort when he came to the States was inside the jail. This is a man who, who spends most of his time around church people, but the place where he felt most immediately welcomed was inside the jail. And I think I know why. I think when you're in jail, when you're incarcerated, you you do not have the option of making things seem other than exactly how they are. And so as these men met him and their like whateverness, whatever that might have meant, he was free to meet them in his whateverness. And suddenly he wasn't so anxious about the language barrier or his accent or the cultural differences or all the things that might have made him feel a little unsure. Suddenly those things didn't matter because the people around him were just like, here I am, here you are. We can begin to bring that spirit into our ordinary lives as well. The truth is we don't really know each other until we share. And the story of Jesus and, and Zacchaeus is a really interesting story about hospitality because it tells hospitality slant. And that's kind of a, a, a writing sort of concept or lingo, but like how can we tell a story but in kind of a surprising kind of way? How can we sneak up on you a little bit? And that's what this story does. Because if, if somebody's asking me, what do you think of Shannon when you think of a Bible story about hospitality, I'm probably going to think of Mary and Martha. You know, that old story like, who was better? The one who served or the one who sat with Jesus? Who was better? This is hospitality. We get these ideas in our minds of kind of homemaking, um, of kind of these dusty gender roles. And then you have this story with many layers as as biblical stories have, but this story of two people going about their lives and they encounter one another. 
That is the essence of what it, does it look like to live as neighbors. In most of the stories we read about Jesus, we, we read of Jesus living his life. He had a whole body and a whole life, and he was out doing his thing. And so a lot of times these stories will say, like, Jesus was passing through this town. Jesus was on his way to wherever. And suddenly he is interrupted, and the, the trajectory of his day changes. That is hospitality. That is two people, in this case two men, paying attention to the actual world that they are in, being present in this moment, being eager to engage, unbothered by the possibility of scandal. That part in the scripture passage we read, like, the people were troubled. (laughs) We are the people, by the way. We are the people. And the people were really disappointed in in how Jesus was behaving. Of course we were. And then you think of Zacchaeus, who was this wealthy tax collector who a lot of people hated, and he just kind of was curious and wanted to know what this Jesus person was about, and he climbed up in a whole tree. (laughs) Like, that, there are just these layers to, like, this is just who I am. This is what I'm doing in this moment. I'm not real worried right now about what other people are going to think. They were willing to risk the vulnerability connection requires. And so as the story unfolds, we don't see Jesus inviting Zacchaeus over to his fancy home and his cheese board. We see Jesus saying, hey, I'm coming over. Cool. And then we watch as Jesus receives. Now that's something that we're not necessarily great at, is receiving. And I would be remiss if I talked about hospitality today without talking about how vital it is that we learn to receive it. Because we would so much rather. It's like scary enough. It's harder enough to do the work. But it can be real scary to not be the one in control. And when we receive from the people around us, we are not in control. When somebody invites us into their space, into their life, we are not in control. When somebody cooks for us, we're not in control. And all, so it's, it's vulnerability from the opposite side of the coin. Community, communication, communion, they all share the Latin root word communionum, which means fellowship, mutual participation, and sharing. We will never experience what God intended for our good and our delight until we commit to receiving. It has to go both ways. It has to. We ask for what we need. We offer what we can. Those are the mantras, my mantras for living as neighbors. But we have to do both. If we're only ever asking for what we need... We're, we're not quite getting there. We're missing part of it. And if we're only ever offering what we have, we are missing out. We cannot be the ones always offering. We cannot be the ones always saying, oh, sure, come over, don't bring anything. Or, um, sure, I'll come over, what can I bring? That is my impulse every time. Like, I just feel a little wobbly and a little wiggly if I'm not contributing It is so hard to just simply receive. 
And we all offer different things at different times. And there are just going to be times where the 100% right answer for us is just, yes, I will. Period. End of sentence. And be, be served by the people around us. Receive from them. I did not plan to tell this story, but it just popped into my mind, and it's real short. One of the most beautiful moments I have had in receiving from my neighbors was when we were invited into their home for their daughter's birthday party. This was several years ago. And, you know, it was this big feast. We were the only people there who spoke English as our first language. We were honestly, my family was, um, there was, there was a real pronounced language barrier happening. I mean, they were all kind of chatting together and we were just kind of like, kind of uncomfortable and trying to be present. And it, it comes time for them to bring out the birthday cake for their daughter. And all of a sudden, there's all this chattering happen, happening in the kitchen around us in Spanish. And I didn't, I, I know very little. I wasn't picking up really on what they were saying. And they're talking. And I, we got the distinct sense that they were kind of talking about us. We didn't know. And, and suddenly, they start singing happy birthday in English, which is not their tradition. But what they were, the conversation being had was, how can, how can we be part of this? And for their daughter's birthday, they sang first, happy birthday in English. That is receiving. That was a humbling moment for me that I will never forget. In a couple moments, we are going to move into our time of the Eucharist, receiving the Eucharist. As Mariah mentioned, it is an open table at South Bend City Church. And to be quite blunt, if it wasn't, I probably wouldn't be here. That is a a value of mine as well. The only question being asked is, do you want to sit at the table with Jesus? And if the answer to that question is yes, then you're invited to do so. To receive what Jesus freely gives But before that, I want to just wrap up with giving a a tangible little practice. We've been trying to do that every week during this this series together to give us something to walk away with, to think about, to do. I loved the line from one of the songs this morning that we can be still and be present, but we got to keep moving. So last week we talked about, we kind of ended with some reflection questions on, is there someone God or the Holy Spirit is inviting you to be a better listener to? Did anybody think about that at all in the week that followed? Did it come to your mind? That's good. So today, the practice I'm going to leave us with is simply to invite someone in. And you knew, you already knew that's what I was going to say. Sorry, not sorry. I want all of us to be thinking about who can we invite in, into our space, into our table, into just ourselves, our lives as we actually are. I want to I ask that we would consider inviting someone who might feel less familiar to us, less comfortable in some way. Maybe somebody that we think like, oh, we just don't have much in common with them. Maybe somebody that we know we have important things that are not in common, things that might make things challenging. Be open. 
be willing to consider this. And that when we do, we will just let it be real. We will resolve to that. We will not spruce it up. We will not make it perfect because we are going first and we are setting the bar low. So that when that person turns around and invites somebody into their life, they remember that it can be simple and it can be real. You can invite someone into your yard for hot dogs around the fire pit or the grill. You can invite someone into your kitchen for a frozen pizza. It is allowed, I promise you. It makes it so much easier. And if we can make things easier, we are more likely to do it. And as we begin to build the rhythm of just doing this thing, even with people in this space with you right now, there there are people here who don't know each other. I'm sure of it. What if you invited somebody in this week? The point is not what we serve or how. The point is not what does the place look? What What does our home look like? The point is how are we going to be together? How are we together? If that is more than what you're ready for, invite somebody for coffee at a neutral space. Or invite somebody for a walk and talk. I do that with some of my friends. We just go walking, we talk the whole time, we get to know each other, we share ourselves with each other. If someone invites you in, be ready to receive. So it is fitting that we would end today's gathering by sharing in the Eucharist, the Lord's Supper. And I want to remind us that what we think of now, you know, we kind of use these words a bit interchangeably, communion, the Eucharist. When we think about the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper, just remember, Jesus didn't call out to the people around him, hey, everybody come for communion. That's not what was happening. That's how we have come to shape what happened and to carry that that remembrance and that recognition with us. What Jesus was doing was spending time with his friends, sharing in the bread that he had, now, it, the, the events to come would unfold from there, and this is significant. But I just want us to remember, this wasn't like a particular um, ritual. This was, this was friends sharing together for a purpose, sitting around the same table together. And so on that night that Jesus would be betrayed, he sat with those friends. He took the meal in front of them. And he broke the bread and said, this is my body. Broken for you. His friends were like, what? What is he talking about? Here he goes again. Why is he always so confusing? What does this mean? And he took the cup and said, astonishingly, this is my blood shed for you. That invitation is what we now know, what, what we know as communion in the Eucharist. I want to mention that as we move into this time, stating the obvious, I am not, I am not Jason. And I have seen the beautiful way he presents this holy meal to this congregation. And I am just simply asking that you humbly receive what is given that we would trust that in this moment to come, that God is enough. God's presence in this place with us, sharing this space with us, it is enough. 
Jesus invites us to come down, not with a wagging finger and barking out demands. Jesus invites us to come and receive what is freely given. So I'm going to invite those of you who are helping to serve to come on up. I'm going to put the microphone down here in just a moment and serve communion to our servers. And then as they filter out to the tables, you can find them at one of the tables and receive from Christ. close out by reading one last passage. This is from the book called Jesus Freak by Sarah Miles. Highly recommend. One of my all-time favorites. Jesus enjoins his disciples to participate in God's work. Then he takes the bread and gives thanks to God to show them that the bread does not belong to them. Like everything we have, he says, bread comes from God, and your job is just to break it up and give it away. Give it to the wrong people, to the ones who haven't washed their hands correctly, to the latecomers and the women, to anyone who is hungry. And so South Bend City Church... Grace and peace be with you.